Um, the Spirit of God's here, so we're just going to move on and let Larry bring the word and just be attentive because he has such a grace on his life for really the vision that God has for the body of Christ. And it's the vision he has for every one of us. And so just be very attentive to the word that he's sending out there so that we can reach further than we think we can reach. So Larry, please come and bring the word. Uh, good morning, everyone. First of all, I want to just express my gratitude for uh, being able to come back here again to be with, with you as a congregation and uh, spending time with leadership and, and Aaron and the elders. Just It's been a very fruitful time. So glad to have my wife with me. As many of you told me last time I was here, don't come unless you can bring your wife. And so I did bring her. Uh, and for Rich as well, uh, good, Rich, to have you be able to be with us. Um, in, in sharing this morning, I, I want to give liberty to both Rich and Karen. Uh, even though they don't know for sure what I'm going to be ministering, I feel like they both have a prophetic edge. If there's anything that you guys want to, uh, you know, make me go on pause and want to say something, I want to give you the freedom to do that, that very thing. Uh, I do believe that there's a scripture that the Lord has given me in regards to uh, just you as a congregation, and I'm, um, it's in Isaiah, the 54th chapter, and I, uh, I want to share that before we begin to get into the, into the message, um, which is going to be in the book of, out of the book of Nehemiah this morning, and I'll be going different places. I do not have uh, I do not have scriptures on PowerPoint, so I'm going to ask you to be uh, to either search in your own Bibles or your phones or whatever it is to turn to these scriptures with me. Um, I don't have a lot of them, but also to be good Bereans, to search out the Word to see whether these things be true or not. How many know it's good to search out the Word? Uh, this scripture is in, in Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3, and I believe this is I just felt this was a word for you, and maybe you've already received it. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. In the message, this is how it reads. I kind of like this. Clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large, spread out, think big, use plenty of rope, drive the tent pegs deep. You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're going to take over whole nations and you're going to resettle abandoned cities. That's kingdom. And Charlie and, and both Rich this morning have been emphasizing not only a kingdom vision, but a kingdom purpose and destiny that you have. And I, and I, I encourage you to take this scripture and begin to uh, just meditate it, not uh, meditate upon it as elders and, um, you know, as, as a people. Meditate upon those scriptures. Um, back to the message this morning, and I, I've entitled it The Abundant Life. And I, I realize that we all have a concept 
of what abundant life is. And I do believe it, it gets fairly marred and, uh, you know, obscure in, when we compare to what God's perspective is of abundant life. Most of the time we equate it to uh, having all our needs met and, and not having any troubles, everything just goes smooth, we find our glasses in the river and all those kind of things, you know. And, and uh, that, that is truly abundant living, but I believe God had something else even greater in mind than that when it comes to abundant life. I've come to give you life, he says, and what? And life more abundant, okay? And I want to zero in on the book of Nehemiah, and again, I'm going to move quite quickly, so uh, I, I want you to stay with me here. Um, thanks, Aaron, for that exhortation. Uh, but uh, the book of Nehemiah, I've got to give you a little brief history, so I'm not going to take long to do that, but I want to I want to go to Jeremiah, the, 20, the 25th chapter. And in this chapter, the word of the Lord is coming to Jeremiah, uh, to the people of Judah, and, and he is speaking to them. In verse 3, he talks about, um, uh, even to this day, this is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken to you rising early and speaking, but you've not listened. So for 23 years, the prophet Jeremiah has been bringing the word of the Lord uh, to Judah, to, 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 the, to the Israelites. Uh, and he goes down to verse 8. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon." Um, it's, there's a verse that one he talks about why um, further up in verse 5 he says they said repent now everyone of, the, of his evil way and his evil doings and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever I find it interesting that the reason the prophet Jeremiah is bringing this strong word to them is because they have failed to dwell in the land. Okay? You've been wicked. You have not dwelt in the land. And therefore, God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah, for 23 years I've been speaking to you now, and, the, and, and, and I, what I'm going to do is the northern kingdom of Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar, is going to come down, and he's literally going to take you captive for 70 years. Pretty harsh treatment, isn't it? 20 years after this word was given, this is exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar comes, and the, the children of Israel are taken into Babylon for, for, to, to be there for 70 years. Now, turn over to Jeremiah 29. This is what I find so interesting. I just saw this again this morning. Jeremiah 29, which... There's one verse in here we often quote. Do you know what it is? Yeah. 
Which one, Karen? Yes, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we take that word and we make it a promise to us. But I want to give you a little history behind that. So here they are, okay? They're now in captivity in Babylon. And verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from the Jerusalem to Babylon, this is what he says to them. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will what? You will have peace. That's all written before that promise in verse 7, 11. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Interesting, what they were failing to do in Jerusalem, and God sent Nebuchadnezzar to take them captive, God now is instructing them uh, what you didn't practice there, you practice in Babylon. Plant vineyards. Plant vineyards there. That's what he says. Build houses. Okay? Plant gardens so you can eat the fruit of it. Dwell in the land. In other words, even though we're not yet, quote, in heaven, we have, a, we have an admonition from the Lord to dwell in the land. Pray for the peace of our city. When we do that, the city not only has peace, but who else has peace? We have peace as well. So he's given them an opportunity while they're in Babylon to practice the things they didn't practice back in Jerusalem. Now, this, it's an interesting story because when you go back, and, and I'm not turning there, to Isaiah 44 and to 45, uh, there's a prophecy there that was given Approximately 150 years before they went into captivity, Isaiah prophesied that he would raise up a Cyrus that would help bring deliverance to them while they're in captivity. He even named the king, King Cyrus. And this is exactly what happened is when, when they were in captivity under the kingship of Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the media Persians took over Babylon, and guess who was the king? Cyrus. That which God had prophesied through Isaiah 150 years before that, even giving him a name, come to a reality. And as it come to reality, as soon as Cyrus became king, his passion and burden to see Jerusalem restored, it began to burn within his heart. And so within a year, he, he made a decree to all you Israelites, you can go back and restore your city and your community. 50,000 went back, and that sounds like a lot, but for all those that had been taken captive, it was only 2%. Because, number one, the distance between Jerusalem and Babylon is like 900 miles. It's like from Minot, North Dakota to Pueblo, Colorado. And they didn't have jet service. 
They didn't have cars and trucks. They didn't have trains. They literally walked and rode on donkeys and horses to get that 900 miles. So it was not an easy trek. So when the commission was given, the, degree was, the decree from Cyrus was given, you guys can go back and restore your city and community. Only 2% went under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And he went back there with that whole purpose of restoring the temple, worship, temple, worship in the temple. And he, and he was there for approximately uh, 20 years, and 14 of those years the work ceased. So for about 20 years, you know, they were there under Zerubbabel restoring the temple. And then after some 81 years after they'd been in captivity, Ezra takes another remnant back with him, a smaller remnant, I think around 2,000. And they, they, Ezra went back there to restore the word. So we not only have worship being restored, but we have the word being restored in Jerusalem. Okay? Now just keep that in mind. Because most of us would think, goodness sakes, if we have all that in place, what more do we need? If we got the word, we got worship going on, you know, apply it to ourselves, to our own local churches. But anyway, there was a, one of those from Jerusalem came back to Babylon to report, not really to report, in fact, Nehemiah, that's why I like the book of Nehemiah, because it's so profound. Nehemiah asked, what's the condition of What's the condition of the church? What's the condition of the city in Jerusalem? And the report was from this, this, this one that had come was that it's still in disarray. It's still in distress, even though they got worship, even though they got the word. And Nehemiah began to carry the burden of understanding that for that city to fulfill its mission and its commission on earth, it needed to be, the walls needed to be restored and the gates needed to be restored. So he got permission from his king, who we, he was the cupbearer to that. Nehemiah gets permission to go back to restore the walls of Jerusalem and the gates of Jerusalem. So this is where we're going to take off from. He had the favor of the king, everything he needed for that journey. God had provided through other kingdoms and kings so that whatever was needed to do the restoration that Cyrus had said they could do, was able, they were able to do that. However, just as, as Zerubbabel and Ezra met opposition to worship in the word, so also was, uh, did, did Nehemiah, uh, you know, he, he, he faced opposition as well, but it didn't curtail him. He says, I'm going to go in there. We need to get these, ball, these walls restored, these gates restored. Most time we talk about the walls being restored but I want to zero in on the gates this morning because I believe there's a prophetic picture here of what needs to be happening to the church. Okay? Now, here's Nehemiah's Jerusalem. And uh, <clears throat> when you read the chapter 3 of Nehemiah, you'll find all of this in there. This is, this is how it began to unfold. He went out in the middle of the night, no one knowing, to inspect the walls of Jerusalem. Well, obviously the gates were there. So, so, so he, he went out with a, just a core group to inspect the walls, and he, he didn't even tell anybody he was doing it. He came back, and his conclusion was, it's a mess. It's really a mess. Because Nehemiah had an apostolic understanding that if the city was to fulfill its mission, 
If Jerusalem was to fulfill its mission, that the walls would have to be restored and the gates would have to be restored. So this, this is where it all began, beginning with the sheep gate at the very top, okay? And then it progressed to the fish gate, and every one of these have significance and meanings, which we're going to go to in just a moment. And then it went to the old gate, and then it went to the valley gate. I just want you to get a picture of this. The distance between the old gate and the valley gate, and these, these were gates that needed to be restored. After the valley gate, we have the dung gate, and then we have the fountain gate, and then we have water gate, which we've heard a lot about, and then we have the horse gate, the east gate, and then the inspection gate, and it, and it takes us all the way. It starts out at the sheep gate, and it goes right back to the sheep gate. And that's how they were instructed to to restore these gates, they started out with the sheep gate and they went all the way around in that order as you see it right there. All right. Rick, take me to the next slide, please. Okay. Now, if you want to, you can put your own name in here or you can put, I just put the church in there. I did it for myself personally to start with, but really, I believe it's a prophetic picture for the church and this can help us determine where we are at on our journey you know, and probably even what's taking place, okay? So where do we begin? At the top with what? The sheep gate. That sheep gate, obviously, where Jesus himself came in through that gate as the, as the Lamb of God, okay? This is where redemption begins. Everything begins with Jesus, and we'll discover it all ends with Jesus. So redemption is... The sheep gate represents redemption, and that means that if that gate's going to have to be in place for, for us to fulfill our mission here on earth. We're going to have to know who our king is, who gave us life for us, who redeemed us from all our, you know, even what Charlie's, you know, we don't no longer have to live in the past. In fact, Paul's in Philippians, forget those things that are behind you and press on to the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And, and so we got to begin at this place at the sheep gate. That needs to be restored. That gate needs to be back. And we have many churches where that, even the sheep gate's becoming anything but the sheep gate. It's salvation through any other means other than Jesus. This will not work apart from him being the redeemer. So we have to start with redemption. Then it leads us to what? The fish gate, Okay. The fish gate obviously speaks of a harvest. This is where they brought all the fish into the market through this fish gate. This actually is a reality. <clears throat> There's a great harvest out there. And because we've been redeemed, we've been saved unto good works. Is that not true? That's what the scriptures tell us. Good works are not bad. It's just that if we get good works before the redemption, we got it messed up. But because you're saved, every one of you here this morning, even the babies, the children, they all have destiny and purpose, and they've been called on to good works. And your good works will be different than my good works, but if, when I do it from that place of redemption, there's going to be a harvest in that place. We're going to bring in fish. There'll be others that be not only brought into the kingdom, but we're going to find that these works are meat to eat for us, Okay. So that, that's the next gate. So we go from redemption to good works. And I think the, the, the number three, which is the old gate, we need to be, this is, this is so important when you see this whole circle. 
because the old gate represents his nature, okay? And we must, be, we must get that foundation in our lives right now, the basis of the journey that we are on. We must remember who he is, the unchangeableness of who he is, for he's the same yesterday and forever. And if we don't get that gate erected, if it's not a part of our lives, then we, we, will, we will fail. On, on the, uh, we'll, at best, we will have 20%, 30% instead of 100%. So we need to get grounded in the word. We need to get, have an understanding of not only who, who he is, but who we are in him. But we won't know who we are in him until we know who he is. Does that make sense? We've got to know. We've got to know the old, the, his nature. You've got to know his nature. What, what is his nature? His nature is love. He, it really is love. Now, his love may look different sometimes than we think it should, but his nature is always love. It's always love. It's always love. There's so many things we could add to that. It's interesting, then, we go from, from, the, from the old gate to the valley gate. And I talked to you about the distance between the old and the valley gate. Because I believe that's because he gives us a long season to get to know who he is and understand his nature. And once we begin to understand his nature, then there, then there comes the valley gate where there become situations in our lives that we had not planned. Everything did not go accordingly. And we end up with disappointments. We end up with frustrations, broken relationships. And the list goes on and on and on. And it becomes a valley gate. How many know that valley gate is important? Because it's there you discover, not you discover, you haven't already discovered his nature, but you haven't discovered yet your nature. And when you get into the valley gate, you begin to discover that there are things in your life that are not kingdom. There are things in your life, there's attitudes you have, there's mindsets that you have that are contrary to the word of God. So in the valley gate, he begins to deal with those things, and I believe many in the body of Christ have been spending a lot of time in the valley gate. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say amen or anything else. God is dealing. He's dealing with the church in this hour. And it's very, very important that we understand the importance of the valley gate. Especially if you understand the old gate. So once you've gone through the valley gate, what's our next stop? The dung gate. So why is the dung gate so important? That's where they took all the dung out of the city, out of this gate. There are things when the heat gets turned up, when you refine gold and silver, all what happens all when you turn the heat up, all the impurities come to the surface and they skim them off. It is very important that we understand that in God's love for us and revealing our nature, that he has also provided for us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, through redemption, that we can get rid of all the dung. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is very important that we understand that we can haul the dung out the dung gate and we do not have to take that dung with us on the rest of the journey. Did you hear what I said? There are things that need to be left behind. We've heard that this morning. Do not take them with you on the rest of the journey. If it's under the blood of Jesus Christ, if you're being reminded of those things, it's not coming from God. 
The enemy will try to remind you of those things so that you pack your bag with a whole bunch of dung from your previous life and you take it on your journey and it will do nothing but hold you back. We need to understand the dung gate needs to be restored for us, along with these other gates, to fulfill our mission. So after we've been through the dung gate, there's nothing more refreshing than the fountain gate. That's when we begin to understand. I don't believe, honestly, that we we have a our understanding of, of, of the person of the Holy Spirit and how precious He is to us. We do not understand that unless we go through the, the valley gate. Okay? Because when we get through the valley gate, let me tell you, there sometimes there's so much rubbish that we just, it's just like, oh my God. God, I didn't know all that was in there. I, I, I didn't know I was acting that way. I didn't know I was portraying that kind of an attitude. Whatever that may be, the words I speak, the thoughts I think, all those things are being revealed to me, you know. And, and, and it's at that place that I, God, I really need help. Okay. You see, when you just know about his nature, who God is, you kind of get along in life and running right along whether God helps or not. I've been there. I know what that's like. If God didn't help me, I would still do it. Okay? And I had to go through the valley gate to understand that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. So the times of refreshing that come at the fountain gate in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, and I even speak over you right now. I speak... God, blow upon the congregation. Blow upon this congregation in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Don't settle with just common things. There's things God wants to speak to you, reveal to you, and take you that only he can. He said, it's necessary, Jesus said, it's necessary for me to go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. And when he comes, he will be to you a comforter. He'll be your guide. He will convict you of sin. Yes, All those things, we need the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when we get the baptism at the fountain gate, then then all of a sudden we go to number seven, which is the provision, which is his word, water gate. Okay? And because of the Holy Spirit, the word takes on a different meaning. And I challenge you every day when you read the word of God, Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what's in those pages. My wife spends hours in the Word. She really does. And, 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 and she, she loves the Word. She loves the Word. We need, to, we need to have an appetite for the Word of God that we can't, you know, it, it's just like, it, it's in Him we live and move and have our being. He is the living Word, so He is the Word. So the more we know about the Word, guess who we know more about? Jesus. Okay? More about Jesus. And so the word then must become that provision in our life. And when you mix the word and the water together, the word and the Holy Spirit together, things begin to happen. As you get out into the mountains of influence, as you begin to plant, you build your, build your houses and plant your gardens, that means you're outside of the church building. That means you're in the community. It's in that place where you begin to realize the necessity of the Holy Spirit and that he's literally speaking to your heart concerning people that cross your path that come into your life. So from his provision, now we go to to the horse gate. 
And this is where they led the horses out to water, but it speaks of war. In those days, horses were key figures in battle. Here's what happens. Most of the time, when we get saved, we end up going to war right up here. Once we get some revelation of his nature, let's go to war, I'm ready for war. I've been there, I know that, I know what it's like. But I discovered that if you allow this process to take place, by the time you get to an understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, having dumped things, that when you get to this place, you are ready for war. Instead of petitioning God all the time, God do this, God do that, you're going to find an anointing upon your life to decree the Word of God that you just had intimacy with. And you begin to release the word of God over your city, over your community, over your family, over your children, over your spouses. We pray for our children. We pray for our grandchildren every day. And we, we, we seldom ask God to do something for them. We literally declare the word of God over them. We set into motion the proceeding word. And, and, and I, I know warfare, is, it's a broad spectrum. But you guys, too often... We're fighting warfare with Saul's armor. Did you hear what I'm saying? And we're so loaded down with, with binding and loosing and everything else, you know, we don't even know what we're doing. When in reality, out of our love relationship with the Lord, the word of the Lord can be released upon the land. A proceeding word that will not return void. How many know we have a lot of warfare to do? Amen? That leads us to the east gate, which speaks of nothing more. Which That east gate leads into the temple, which speaks of nothing more. That's not a right word to use, but it speaks of Jesus' return. He is returning. And he is returning for a bride that is pure and spotless. We are not without hope. We are not without hope. I don't care how dark it gets. And I know there's a lot of shakeup going on, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, whether it's the nations, whatever it might be. We are not without hope because of this, what I would call, not only abundant life, but a cycle of life. This is a cycle of life for us. When this happens and he comes back, there will be a time of inspection. And it's not an inspection for judgment. It's an inspection for rewards. Karen taught on this for two weeks at our church. She spent two weeks talk, talking, but she never talked about it. We never had anybody else preach about it. But, but how God is destined for rewards for us when he does come back. Our works are going to be tested. Some of them are going to go up in smoke, but other ones are going to be like Silver and gold, and there's going to be a reward system for how well you travel this journey here back to redemption. Now, if you have your Bibles, that's a lot in a short time I just gave you, okay? Nehemiah, I want to go back to Nehemiah, the fourth chapter. really important this what I'm presenting you the enemy hates okay in fact in chapter 2 
verse 10, when the enemy, Sanballat and Tobiah, heard, heard of it, what did they hear? They heard that Nehemiah was coming to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Who was coming? A man. So when you get out into the marketplace, the highways and byways, you are a man that's coming under the authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon your life. And the enemy does not like this. He's upset. It's interesting. He resisted Zerubbabel and Ezra to the point that they, they just they got so weary, they just gave up. And when Nehemiah heard that things weren't completely done, we must go to the rescue. Because if this city's going to fulfill its destiny, then the walls and the gates are going to have to be restored. So the enemy does not like it. Chapter 4. And so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were, were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. Mark that word mock, because that's the very thing that on your journey, this kingdom journey that you are on, the first thing you are going to face is mockery. The enemy, I don't, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to mock you. He's going to mock you. Who do you think you are? Carolyn, who do you think you are? And he'll come out just like that. And, and if we entertain that thought very long, we will step back, we will believe a lie instead of truth, which is the word of God, and the first thing you know, the word of the enemy will prevail. Very indignant, he mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, what in the world are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Okay? So it begins to throw out questions. The enemy will throw out questions. Is this what you're trying to do? Forget it. It's hopeless. This will never work. It hasn't worked days past. It will not work now. And he begins to throw out the questions. Now Tobiah the Ammonite wasn't just Sanballat was beside him, and he said, whatever these, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now, I want you to know, um, that's an accusation. That's a curse. The enemy will try to make, not, he will not only try to question, he will literally make statements. Do you remember what you did back there 40 years ago, and he will, he'll begin to curse you. The enemy will come in such a way that he'll bring the remembrance to you. If you've not dealt with the dung gate well, he'll bring up what's on the back of your, uh, your backpack. There'll be some dung back there that he'll bring up. It wasn't a reality. Yes, it was a reality, but it's under the blood of Jesus. But if you don't understand and you didn't dump the dung while you was at that gate, then you're going to carry it with you. And it gives him fodder, it gives him ammunition that he can take and literally bring a statement, an accusation against you. What did Nehemiah do? Pray, okay? Verses 4 and 5. Verse 6, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. 
The people had a mind to work. There was enough that had taken place. Nehemiah's leadership had so had such an impact on their lives. They didn't really they they did care, but they weren't going to bow to the powers of darkness, and they had a mind to work. Verse seven. So now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became what? Very angry. So the enemy has gone from mocking to questioning to accusation, and now he's mad. I do believe, and I may even be here, that there are some churches that the enemy is very, very mad about. He does not like at all what is happening because these, the walls and the gates are being restored. Okay? And this is what they did. All of them, verse 8, conspired together to come and attack at Jerusalem and do what? To create confusion. Okay? So not only are they attacking individually, now they're becoming a conspiracy. They're all joining together, and they're not only saying things, now they're attacking Jerusalem, and in the attacking of Jerusalem, they're bringing confusion. So whenever there's confusion in the family of God, I'll say to you right now, the enemy is bringing confusion. He's attacking the church. He's attacking the body of Christ. He's attacking the local church. And confusion is coming into the midst. What did Nehemiah do? Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. Then Judah said, now it's changing. The strength of the labors is failing. Oh my gosh, there's so much work to do. There's, there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And the emphasis no longer becomes uh, the wall is being restored. The emphasis has moved to the rubbish. The rubbish. And, and, and the people of God become overcome with all the rubbish. And therefore hopelessness begins to leak in to the camp. Get the picture? We're not able to build the wall. They begin to make decisions. What we thought we could do, now we're not able to. And when that happens, the adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into the midst of them and kill them, and we're going to make the work stop. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, the, ones, the Jews that were dwelling near to the enemy. In other words, they were having relationships to some degree with the enemy. They were, they were close by, okay? So when the Jews who dwelt near them came, that they told us, not just one time, but ten times they told us, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. In other words, this is what the enemy has said, and I'm going to remind you this is what the devil said. Not just one time, but ten times, that when they come upon us, they're going to, they're going to destroy us. Therefore, verse 13, I positioned men behind the lower parts. He said to the nobles and leaders, verse 14, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord God, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren. This, you guys, this, what I'm talking about this morning is generational. And I look at this church from the last time that I've been here, and I thought it was generational then. It's more generational now than it was then. 
I watched all these children come in. I watched babies being carried in. This is generational. And you have an obligation. You have an obligation to build houses, to plant fields. You have an obligation to have an impact upon your city and your community. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, every one of his own work. So it wasn't like they didn't have a downtime. They did. But somehow they came through, uh, through that under Nehemiah's leadership to understand, listen, this is just the enemy. We can go on from there. Verse 19, the work. He said, the work is great and extensive. How many agree? And we are separated from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And that which took 91 years from the time they went into captivity to get to this point took 52 days to restore the walls and the gates. Isn't that something? Could it have been done sooner? I believe it could have. But however, it took a Nehemiah grace to not only see that the work was not done, but it's so important to understand these principles that I laid out for you this morning. The walls need to be rebuilt. The gates need to be put back into place. And when we've done that, this city will fulfill its mission and purpose. I want to pray over you this morning. And Rich, Karen. So don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. You know, and know that the kingdom of God, and I used to read this all the time, it says the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. We must live in that place of righteousness. I mean, we are so rooted and established in his righteousness. And we, when you're tempted to quit and when everything seems like it's a mess, you become very intentional about reaching into that place of peace. See yourself moving in a place of peace. See yourself peaceful in whatever war you're going into. Entertain peace. Because it'll come to pass. It, as that peace is worked within you, it will take you over. But you must contend for peace. And if the church has no joy, please quit. We must live from a place of absolute joy. The happiness, it, it, it's the kingdom of, it's, it's in him is a place of joy, and the fellowship and the intimacy we have with him can be so scandalous that it's full of righteousness, peace, and joy, and that we must entertain his presence and be found with him. And even as Rich has said, you know, to move into that place, so then obey that place of intimacy and that relationship with him or we're going down and the walls will not be built, but you're going to build the walls. Obviously, there's a, there's a lot that I not only delivered to you, but a lot that could be said. Again, I exhort you to, you know, study the scriptures. Take the book of Nehemiah and begin to read in there and ask God to just reveal himself in that and I believe that he will um, I'd just like to have you stand and then there might be some of you that families or individuals will like, would like personal prayer uh, uh, what's that Rich you have to go oh do you have a word
Rich does have to go, so we're going to bless him in going. But um, I, I want to just decree over you right now. A Nehemiah anointing, and I realize God sent a man. But every one of you, including women, are men, and the man in the sense of mankind. And I believe that every one of us can have a Nehemiah anointing upon us because we've been sent, we've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so I'm asking right now that individually, a Nehemiah grace would rest upon each one of you, from the youngest even to the oldest, that you would even begin to witness the increase of that anointing aiming upon the children and the building of the walls, God extending the kingdom into the highways and the byways. And Father, I release a Nehemiah grace upon this congregation, for they have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And even though there have been times when seemingly nothing seemed to be happening, I believe they are entering into a Nehemiah time. A Nehemiah, God as it would be, and a, a, a Nehemiah time, Father God, where they would not only see that, that there are, whatever those gates are that need to be restored, but there be an awareness of the walls that have been broken down. God, that such a grace would rest upon them. Father, that as different ones would be assigned to different areas. God, that there would be a rebuilding of those walls and a restoring of those gates. God, where air, God, and deception has leaked in where the gates have not been put in place in days past. We speak. We speak to the deception in the air. We speak to the lies that have moved in. And we command these lies to leave, to leave, to leave right now in the name of Jesus Christ and release an invasion of the water gate into this people, invasion of truth. God, such an anointing that when they read the scriptures and begin to search out the scriptures and read, literally they would come alive to them and begin to speak to them in the night hours during the day times. God, that they'd be strengthened on their, in their inner man. God, as they get strengthened in their inner man, they would not only see correctly, they would hear correctly and and they would know, even as the sons of Ishakar, understanding of the times that we are living. I release that upon them regarding this city and community, understanding of the times they're living in. For I see that there's a danger here. Again, even as you are growing and swelling, uh, uh, there, there's a danger to, to even focus upon what are we going to do here. And I believe the Lord is saying, what are you going to do out there? What are you going to do out there? As you go out there, there will become favor upon your life. There will become understanding. You will see things you've not seen. Doors will become, they, they will be flung open for you that will bring understanding to the very present and the time that you are now in. So God, I'm asking for that benediction of this Nehemiah grace now to rest upon them as they journey this road God, I, I pray for those that have taken with them dumb from days, years, decades, even generations past. I release them back to the dung gate to leave it off, drop it off, that they can not only finish the course, 
but finish well. I speak that blessing over them right now. And for those that are at the valley gate right now, grace upon them. Grace, grace upon them to embrace God, the discipline of the Lord in this hour. I ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, Pastor Aaron, you have anything? Rich, nothing. You're going to leave. Thank you, Larry and Karen and Rich, for just the service you've brought to us. Um, anyone that feels the pull of the Spirit to come up for prayer, I'm sure Larry will be willing to stay around and pray with you. And God just really set out just section by section, line upon line, what season we're in and where we're going. And we are going for the anointing and the word so that we can go to war. And I just praise God for bringing that revelation because that is the season we're in. It's time to dump everything off at the dung gate so that we can come into that time of refreshing and the anointing and the word because God has a battle for this body to fight and we'll be victorious in it. Because like he said, what they do? They blew the trumpet and they ran together. They came together in unity, not so they could fight the war, so God could fight the war. I mean, how great is that? That's what he wants. He wants us to come together in unity so he can destroy our enemies. But that unity comes when we dump everything off and we get in the word and the anointing. And it was just, it was great. It was great. And so if you feel led to come up, please come up. But if not, you are dismissed.